So if you're going to go ahead and grab a seat, uh, we will hear the word of the Lord. All right. A reading from the Gospel of Luke 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask that you, by your spirit, would speak to us through your word. Uh, Lord, we are a people of many expectations, and uh, we live uh, with so many frustrated ones. So, Lord, would you bring good news of your kingdom to our hearts today? And uh, would you reshape and reorder our lives according to your kingdom? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, every one of us uh, comes here this morning with loads of expectations. Uh, Maybe not for the service this morning. Maybe you're just here because you're supposed to be. But in your life, you have expectations everywhere. You have expectations about your job. You have expectations for your friendships. You have expectations for your marriage or for getting married. And the thing about life is that so much of life is about living with frustrated expectations. Some of you have gotten a new job in the past year, and you had big expectations for how that was going to turn out, but you find yourself frustrated with your supervisor or very discontent with the team around you. Uh, Some of you right now are dealing with frustration in your friendships They aren't going how you thought they would go. They're not meeting your expectations. And then I would say everyone who is married understands frustrated expectations when it comes to marriage. For some of us, that hits the moment we say, I do. For others of us, it takes 10 to 15 years. But frustrated expectations are a part of life. And I'll give you a little homework. Go go Google this afternoon, frustrated expectations. Or go just Google expectations and see what comes up. Everybody is talking about this. There's articles everywhere about how to deal with expectations, the problem with expectations. And you know what the advice almost always is? Temper them. Don't expect too much. Which, by the way, is a very Buddhist way of approaching life. If you don't expect too much, you won't experience too much disappointment in your life. But friends, Jesus actually takes the opposite tack 
and we've seen this over and over again in the Gospel of Luke, is that he comes proclaiming that the kingdom of God is present in his person. And this leads to great expectations. If you're new to the Christian faith, uh, the kingdom of God in its essence is basically the rule or reign of God brought to bear on this broken world. And when that is fully manifest, it will mean the healing of everything that is broken. But it also means that there are certain responsibilities for citizens of this kingdom. That we are to order our lives under his rule and reign. We are to live in accordance with his kingdom. And all the ethics that we find in the Gospel of Luke, for example, are really about us bringing our lives, ordering our lives, under the rule and reign that has come to expression in Jesus. Now, over the next three weeks, we are going to hustle through chapters 13 and 14. And chapters 13 and 14 of, of the Gospel of Luke actually have kind of a similar structure. Each begins with a healing on the Sabbath day. And then you get a discourse about the kingdom of God, followed by a challenge from Jesus. It's the same in chapter 14 as it is in chapter 13. And the hinge between them is Jesus' lament over Jerusalem for failing to see the arrival of the kingdom in his person. Now, our passage this morning begins with an amazing miracle. And I'm not going to give much attention uh, to this. We've talked about healings. We've talked about Sabbath. Um, But basically, the situation is this. There is a woman who has some disabling spirit who's been bent over, doubled over, can't stand up straight for 18 years. And she shuffles her way into the synagogue. And we are told that Jesus sees her. And Jesus calls her forward. So she has to shuffle her way to the front. And Jesus heals her in front of everyone. It is a sign that the kingdom of God is present in the person of Jesus. But of course, the leader of the synagogue is very upset because this is happening on the Sabbath. He says, aren't there six other days in which this can happen? And Jesus' response basically is, what better day to do it than on the Sabbath? The Sabbath is all about restoration. The Sabbath is all about mending what is broken, putting back together what is falling apart. And Jesus' adversaries are put to shame. And it says, all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. But then we come to the focus of our sermon this morning. Jesus adds an addendum. And it's connected to this miracle because it says, therefore Jesus said, verse 18, what is the kingdom of God like? And what follows is two little parables that Jesus tells us that are all about what the kingdom of God is like. And we're going to focus on these two parables that Jesus told this morning. They're very short, but they're very rich, and the richness actually may surprise you. Parables, if if you're new to the Christian faith, are just like little stories. And sometimes, you know, we don't know what to do with stories. I mean, give me a rule, and I'll try to follow it. Give me a doctrine, I'll try to believe it. But give me a metaphor, a simile, right, an analogy, a parable, a story. What what am I supposed to do with this? But you see, this is one of Jesus' ways of engaging our imagination It's actually meant to challenge the way we think about everything. And these two parables, like all of Jesus' parables, are all about the kingdom of God. God's power unleashed in the world to heal and mend and renew. 
But I think they engage a question that I'm pretty sure you've asked, at least implicitly, at some point in your life. And that question is this. If the kingdom has come in Jesus, why is the world still so messed up? Or maybe make it, make it very personal. If the kingdom has come in, come in Jesus, why is my life still so messed up? And these two parables are actually meant to help you understand how God's kingdom works in the world and in our lives. And I, I just want to make three observations for us this morning. That Jesus is saying, yeah, you should have great expectations. But I want you to understand how the kingdom unfolds. And I'm going to tell you three things. It looks small, it feels slow, and it isn't always obvious. So let's start first with it looks small. Now I want you to imagine uh, if you were Jesus for a second, and you wanted to talk about the kingdom of God and what it's like, you might say the kingdom of God is like a tsunami, right? Something big and powerful. Or the kingdom of God is like a tornado, right? It, it, It rolls through and it rearranges everything. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. Now look, that's a very underwhelming image. A mustard seed was proverbial for smallness in Palestine. We, we might say today an ounce or a smidgen or a pinch. They would have said a mustard seed. A mustard seed was teeny tiny. It would take hundreds of them to add up to a gram. It looks like nothing. It feels like nothing. It doesn't seem important or significant or powerful. And the same is true of leaven. Usually, leaven was a piece of dough from an old batch of bread used as a starter for a new batch. Doesn't look like much. Doesn't seem like it will make any difference. But both the seed and the leaven contain a power to produce growth all out of proportion to the size of things in the beginning. And Jesus says... This is what my kingdom is like. Now, we need to hear this because we love big. Maybe not big in size necessarily, but we love big in importance. Big-named VCs and angel investors. Big-named schools that open up big opportunities for us. Big events with big-named speakers. Big influence and big and powerful organizations. Big achievements that make an immediately big impact. These are the things that make a difference in the world. We love big because big feels powerful. Big can throw its weight around and change things. But small... Small feels unimpressive and unimportant. And a lot of us have lived all of our lives with a great fear of being small. You know, some of you right now are very unimpressed with God. And it's okay to admit that. You say, why, why, why won't he do anything big in my life? Why doesn't he do something impressive? You may look at the church, this church. You may look at your life. You may look at the impact the gospel is making on your marriage, on your kids, on your friends, on your coworkers, and say, is that it? Is this all that there is? But think about a seat. So small you can pinch it between your thumb and your index finger. It weighs nothing. It doesn't add up to much. But you put it in the ground, and it can grow into something that towers over you. There's power in it. There's life in it. 
There is a potential for growth that can unfold into something much larger and more significant. Or think about leaven. Over 50 pounds of flour is probably what is envisioned here by the three measures. And it's no match for just a little bit of leaven. The leaven wins every time. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a grain of mustard seed. It's like leaven. And this tells us something important. That the march of the kingdom in our lives and in the world, it's going to look small at times. It looks unpromising. It looks insignificant. It looks unimpressive and powerless. But smallness does not equal powerlessness. I want you to think for a second about those first disciples that Jesus called. They were not an impressive bunch. There was no one big and important. There were no power brokers. There were no big shots. There were no players. But when the gospel of the kingdom got a hold of them, it began to radically change them. And in one generation, Christianity spread all over the Roman Empire. It went to India in the east. It went to Ethiopia in the south. It went to Britannia in the west. And you know what? It wasn't one miracle after another. It wasn't big over and over and over again. It was a transformed community bit by bit, having the gospel worked into their lives and out into the world. 18 years ago, my wife and I moved here to Silicon Valley to start a campus ministry called RUF at Stanford University. Stanford's big. Stanford's important. Maybe the biggest and most important university in the world. But we were nobodies. I'm a redneck from East Tennessee, and I can't change that. We had no clout. We had no significance. We didn't look like much. And I'll tell you, the few students that we gathered in the beginning, very unimpressive. And they would say so themselves. Some of you were there, and you know. We didn't look like much. But here's the thing. The kingdom of God was coming. Inch by inch, life by life, and people's lives were changed including our own. The power at work was not me or anyone else. The power at work was the kingdom. See, there are so many things that are part of our life and living life in God's kingdom that seem so small, so insignificant, so powerless that aren't. What do I mean by that? Well, how about this? Forgiving a person who deeply hurt you because of the forgiveness you've received in the gospel. What about this? Beginning to rest in God's grace rather than your performance. That's a small thing with huge implications for your life. Or beginning to pray with something more than yourself and your wants and desires in focus. How many of you believe that the power of the kingdom may be unleashed in learning to love your roommate or reaching out to the lonely or faithfully walking alongside someone who's struggling or talking to someone new this morning? Too small a thing? Not impressive enough? We will never understand the kingdom Jesus brings and how it works in the world if we don't take to heart these two parables. One act of forgiveness, one choice to rest, one step towards someone in hopes of reconciliation, one moment of resistance to temptation, one glimpse of God's redeeming work in the life of someone else, one whispered prayer of gratitude can change the course of your life. Because the kingdom works like a seed. The kingdom unfolds like leaven. You know, the coming of the kingdom in Jesus' ministry may have looked small and insignificant. 
But in this parable that Jesus tells, he says, when it grows into its fullness, it's going to be hugely significant. And he talks about the mustard bush, right? He describes it as a tree, which it's a bush. It's an invasive shrub. So it's almost like parabolic exaggeration. But scholars recognize that Jesus is tapping in to the prophets, specifically Ezekiel chapter 17, where there's a vision of a great tree growing and all the birds of the air finding their the rest within its branches. And it's a picture of the nations coming under the rule and the reign of God. When Jesus is saying, look, it may start small, it may look small, but don't you dare think it's weak. It's powerful. It looks small, but it is full of power. And here's the second thing that we need to look at. Not only does it look small, It feels slow. Mustard bushes, they don't grow overnight. And leaven doesn't make the dough rise instantly. Neither will the fullness of the kingdom appear immediately. It takes time. And we need to hear this because we don't just love big. You know what else we love? We love fast. And we love fast computers. We love fast downloads. We love fast service at restaurants. We love fast delivery of our online orders. Can I get an amen? We love fast progress in our careers. We are obsessed with fast results. We want the run we did yesterday to immediately peel off a few pounds today. We, we want the workout we did today to instantaneously add muscle and definition to our bodies. We want our parenting to immediately produce compliant and joyful children. And we want the Bible verse we read this morning to instantaneously cure our anxiety and depression. You know, all of my children, and I have three of them, went through a phase and continue to go through this phase where their two favorite words are right and now. And they always go together. Right now. Give me the iPad right now. I want some ice cream right now. And though we've tried to help them understand that this is no way to live, We've come to realize that it's not just five-year-olds, it's 25-year-olds, and it's 55-year-olds who struggle with this. Because we live in a culture of now. We want what we want today, or by tomorrow at the latest. And if we're not instantly gratified, we begin to say, this isn't working. This is taking too long. This must not be powerful. But Jesus says, this is going to feel slow. Like a seed gradually growing into a tree, like leaven working slowly through the dough. Many of you have become disillusioned with God, maybe even angry with Him because He's not working fast enough for you. He didn't immediately answer that prayer to take away your depression, He didn't free you from that enslaving habit from which you begged His deliverance like that. He hasn't given you what your heart so desperately desires. And so you find yourself asking, why am I still so sad if the kingdom has come in Jesus? Why am I still so lonely? Why why do I still feel so burdened? God, why won't you do what I want you to do right now? What is taking you so long? And here's the rub for us is that we think slow equals weak. But we are wrong. You know, a glacier moves at a snail's pace, and yet it has great power. And likewise, the kingdom of God 
may seem to move at glacial speeds, but that doesn't mean it's weak. The kingdom of God has the power to remake everything. See, the leaven will eventually make its way through the whole batch of dough. And here it's an enormous amount, over 50 pounds, which someone calculated and said, you could make like 272 pizzas out of this, okay? I have no idea if that math is correct. But here's here's, here's the point. It works its way slowly but surely through everything. That's the power of leaven. But it takes time. And the seed has the power to completely transform an entire landscape. Imagine a field that you want to change. There's a way to do it instantaneously. You pull out a flamethrower and you mow the thing down. But it will be ugly and charred and nasty and lifeless. But you could also plant a seed. And eventually over time, that entire field could be changed in a way that a flamethrower never could. Because that's the power of a seed. But it's going to take time. The kingdom of God can and will change everything. But here's something that you and I desperately need to hear this morning. Is the kingdom of God has the power to remake you. But it's going to take time. There's no shortcuts. And there's no quick fixes. And... If you want a simple way to distinguish between religion and Christianity, mere religion always promises immediate but artificial growth. Put more on your to-do list, get busy, have external measurable you know, metrics for self-improvement, but no real or deep lasting change over time. It's just moving stuff around on the surface. But bringing your life under the rule and reign of Jesus offers you gradual but organic growth. Over time, there is substantial and lasting transformation in your life because the kingdom of God, like a seed, can take over the garden of your heart. The kingdom grows in the world and in your life over time like a seed in the ground, like leaven in the dough. And it's worth mentioning this. Our timing and God's timing rarely coincide. You know that, right? And guess what? God won't submit to our timetable. Now, on the one hand, I think this should humble us. We don't have things figured out. We know way too little to understand all that he's up to and why he does things the way he does them. But on the other hand, this should deeply encourage us because God is at work in the worst of places, in the most hopeless of situations, in the long lingering struggles that don't seem to be changing. And he may not be working how you think he should be working or as fast as you prefer, but he's doing something over time that is far more glorious than anything you could possibly imagine. The power of the kingdom has been unleashed and it can and will transform your life if you receive it. But it's going to feel slow and it takes time. Now here's the third and last thing. It's not just that it looks small and it feels slow. Is that it isn't always obvious. A seed goes down into the ground and it does its work beneath the surface out of sight. And leaven, we are told in this parable, is hidden within the dough. Now, whenever, whenever Jesus uses an, an, an odd word, you should pay attention to it. Because it's really strange that he says the woman hid the leaven in the dough. Have you ever heard someone describe leavening dough as hiding the leaven in the dough? That's a strange way to say it. But it 
draws attention to something about the kingdom that we can't miss. And that is that the kingdom is often working in hidden and unseen ways. In and through our suffering, in and through our struggle, even in and through our failure. And we need to hear this because we don't just love big and we don't just love fast. You know what else we love? We love obvious. (laughs) We want God's presence to be immediately recognizable and clear. We want the working of his power to be unmistakably evident. And I think this is one of the reasons that you and I have so much trouble with suffering in our lives. It doesn't seem like God's power is present there. Can the power of God really be present and working in the loss of your job? Or how about the breakup that broke your heart? Or what about the fact that you did a face plant in front of your friends and colleagues? Or how about your struggle with loneliness? What about your wrestling with sexuality? What about your failure to live up to your parents' expectations or your own? Or what about your bitterness over someone else's marriage or pregnancy? What could he possibly be up to here? See, when we are suffering, when we're struggling, when life is falling apart, we almost always see it as a sign of God's absence. And it has a way of undoing us. But it doesn't have to if we understand the work of God's kingdom won't always be obvious there on the surface. Sometimes you have to go deeper, and it's there beneath the surface that you will often discover God's power working for your good, even in the midst of great trouble. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've shared this with me. After a very long and difficult season of suffering, you have said things like, God was working on me through that. He was confronting my idols. He was stripping away my sense of control over life. He was dismantling my arrogance. He was changing me in a way that a miracle never could. What felt like his absence was actually his presence. See, more often than not, we think we know how life should go. We have our plans, and then God scuttles them, and we don't know what to make of him anymore. But it's there in our weakness and confusion that we often discover the richness and the sufficiency of his grace for us. The Apostle Paul writes about this. In 2 Corinthians 9, he talks about a great struggle that he had. He describes it as a thorn in his flesh that he had prayed and prayed and prayed that God would take away, and God didn't. We don't know what that struggle was, but that's probably for the better because we can all fill in the blanks with our own. But what Paul goes on to write is that he discovered that what God was saying to him in this moment was my power is made perfect in your weakness. You see, you may not get why God's not taking away this or that suffering in your life right now or why he seems so far away or why it seems like he's frustrating your plans. But the power of his kingdom is often working in hidden ways. And our job is to trust him. And to wait for that day when it will all be revealed. Now here's the question for you and me. Why should we trust him? You know, I, my children don't say that out loud as much anymore. But you can see it in their eyes. <laughs> Why should I trust you? And so I go ahead and verbalize it. And I say, the reason you should trust me is because I love you. But you know what? Those words often don't make a whole lot of difference to your children. But you know what does? Is when they watch, watch that I'm willing to suffer for them. 
when I'm willing to lay aside my agendas and plans, when I'm willing to sacrifice in order to serve, when I'm willing to suffer on their behalf. Because that's what love does. And you know you can trust someone who's willing to suffer for you. Near the end of the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 23, this Jesus who goes about healing and mending and then telling parables like the ones we just heard today, he's hanging on a cross. And we're told he's crucified between two criminals. One of the criminals who hung beside him curses him and rails at him. He says, if you're the son of God, why don't you get off there and do something? Why don't you act right now? Why don't you do something big and important? Why don't you make it obvious? But the other is beginning to put some pieces together. The other criminal says, we are suffering justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Friends, Jesus was hanging on that cross, not for his own sins, but for ours. He was suffering for us. At the center of this kingdom is the cross, a suffering and crucified Messiah. Because at the center of this kingdom is love. This isn't what anyone expected. I mean, yeah, there were signs and there were hints and there were clues. They were all there in the prophets and the Psalms, but no one was getting it. Not even Jesus' disciples who had walked with him for three years. But at that very moment on that cross, God was establishing his kingdom. And one of the criminals who hung beside, beside him got it. Boy, it looked small. One single naked Jewish man on a cross, how's that going to do anybody any good? And it felt slow. Hey, we've been at this for three years and this is how it ends? And it wasn't obvious. This looked anything like but power. It looked like weakness. And yet Jesus giving up his life was the most powerful thing in history. You want to know how we know about that? Because we're still talking about it today. The world is still dealing with this. The message of the kingdom has crossed every conceivable geographic and ethnic boundary there is to cross. The message of the kingdom has transformed life after life after life. But we must remember that Jesus said, oh, it'll look small in the beginning. And it's going to feel slow. And it won't always be obvious. But like a seed going down into the ground, it's going to grow into a great tree in which all the birds of the air find their rest. Like leaven going into the dough, it's going to change everything. And this is the promise that we are given in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. Friends, when you hear a parable like this, what is our response to be? You know what it's supposed to be? Amen. Yeah. It's patience. It's perseverance. But most of all, it is hope. Because Jesus will have his way. He will reign forever and ever. And we are to go out and give ourselves away in service and sacrifice, out of love for the world because of the love we have received from the king of this kingdom. Friends, that is good news 
for you and me. It may look small today, tomorrow. It may feel slow next decade, next hundred years. It may not always be obvious. But in the end, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. And Jesus, we thank you that you lived and died and you rose again for us. And the resurrection is the guarantee of our inheritance. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you work your word into our hearts and you apply it in just the ways that we need it. Lord, would you cultivate patience and perseverance and hope in us. We are a people who are beleaguered and we grow tired and restless and even doubting. So Lord, would you restore us today? Would you mend us inside that we may continue looking forward to that great day when the lushness and magnificence of your kingdom is manifest. And may you enable us to go out in loving service and self-sacrifice on behalf of others, that we might reorder our lives under Jesus the King and his kingdom. We pray this in his name. Amen.